1: Thanks, Ryan. Um, one of the prayers, one of the things, the realities of the benefits that Psalm 103 talks about of the gospel, the good news of what God has done in Christ, is he says in Psalm 103 that he heals all our diseases, and that's more than our, 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 uh, our stub toes and our coughs and our sneezes, um, but there's a, there's a societal healing that's coming, a cultural renewal, a cultural healing, a cosmic healing. Healing that's coming, that's in view with Psalm 103, that's going to heal every single, not only disease like cancer and like diabetes and the individual things that we struggle with, but man, one of the things that I've taken great joy in as I think through um, the coming kingdom of Jesus, that Jesus is going to come again and make all things new, is this cultural renewal, this cosmic renewal in which all injustice and all oppression, all the poor, all the racial animosity, all this stuff that we deal with relationally and societally is going to be dealt with once and for all, and all things are going to be made new, all things are going to be put right the way that God originally designed them to be. And man, I long, for, I don't know, the last couple of days, couple of days, couple of years, couple of days especially, couple of years though, there's just been this growing angst of desire for that to come quickly. You know, we've, if you've done the church thing for a little while, you, we used to pray, that, you know, Lord, come quick, we sing these songs, Lord, come quickly, and we, we talk about the coming of Jesus, I'll admit, you know. Uh, early on in my, my Christian journey, I used to think like the idea of like Jesus coming again futuristically was a little like revelation and all that's like just a little goofy to me. Like, all right, I'm I'm all in on it, like absolutely. Uh, but like understanding that and trying to get a grasp on that and and how that pertains to today as I walk as a follower of Jesus and how that pertains to my marriage and how I interrelate with different types of people since we're all wired and appear differently. Um, the last few years, that's been a growing angst and desire in my heart to see Jesus come quickly and to see all things made new, and all things put right, and for the garden of diversity, of unity in diversity to be reestablished, and for the utter shalom and flourishing of humanity to once again be brought to bear the way that God originally designed it. And so I'm thankful that Ryan addressed that, and I'm thankful that your church has a, has a heart to address these things and not shy away from them, or just kind of hope that they'll go away quickly, but we address them as we ask the question, what's our response as the people of God to things like this? When we see injustice, or we see oppression, or we see racial animosity, what's, that, what's our response in our own heart, but what's our response as the people of God as we engage it here in the everyday stuff of life here in North Andover and beyond? You feel me? Um, two really quick things before I take the next hour and a half to preach Psalm 103 to you again. Um, the, the first thing is this, is uh, I just want to say thank you to Grace Point. Uh, you've become a friend. Uh, I, I hope, <laughs> hope that we're friends. You know what I mean? I've been, been here a few times now. I just want you to know that I'm grateful. We're, we're, as of four weeks today, we start our new church in Kennebunk, Seven Mile Road. And so I'm not sure when I'll see you again, like in this, 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 this platform. But uh, I just want you to know I've been grateful for your hospitality to me, your friendship. I know that there are many of you who have prayed uh, for me and our church, and just my marriage to stay together, and my, for me to be a decent dad, and, and all the other stuff, and for me to not to lose my head. Uh, and I just want to say I appreciate that, and I appreciate your church. I appreciate what God's doing. I don't see that. I don't want to say that in a cliche way, but I really do appreciate what God's doing in and through you and the journey that you're on and where you're headed. Your future's bright, and so I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your generosity. I appreciate your care and concern over me and our church. And I know that we've forged a good gospel partnership going forward, whatever that looks like as the future unfolds. I appreciate you. I also want to just address the Mohawk thing one more time, all right? So last time I was with you, I had this Mohawk thing, right? Most of you might remember, but, and I blamed it on my son, Dylan. He, we were going to the barbershop and, and uh, yeah, I'm going there. And, and, and he was like, Papa, can you get a Mohawk with me? And I'd never had one of these things in my life. I'm like, yeah, sure, what the heck? You know, I'm a church planter. Church planter's a little weird in any way, so... So I did the Mohawk thing, I showed up and you guys were amazing, you were gracious, I felt a little weird showing up with it, but you guys were great. So I went to the barbershop two weeks ago, uh, last week with my son again, and uh, as I was walking out the door, my wife said, hey, what are you going to get for a haircut? And I thought, I'm going to get a a regular haircut, you know, like look half decent, not look like a creep or anything like that. And uh, she said, you should get a Mohawk. And I was like, really? And she's like, because you kind of look sexy with it. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're not just, we're not just going to blow past that. So that changed everything, that changed the direction, because you know if you're, your husband and your wife uh, values you in that way or encourages you in that way, that means a lot. And so that changed my whole course of direction, so I wear this proudly now, my wife is smiling at me, we're getting along somewhat, so that's a good thing. I think it's in part because of the Mohawk and the grace of God to, to our marriage right now, so... Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 103 one more time. I was with you last month. We looked at Psalm 103. There's so much to drink from in this psalm, uh, but I want to focus primarily on verse 13 because verse 13 says this. It says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And what the Scriptures teach us and what Psalm 103 teaches us uh, is that with all of the attributes that encompass who God is, one of the most important attributes about God is that uh, He can be our Father, capital F Father. He can be our Father. And what Psalm 103 shows us is that when that gets to the soul, that can be a life-changing deal for us when we see God as our Father. Now, right off the bat, uh, we need to address or need to recognize that some of us have not had the greatest experience with our dads, our earthly dads, right? Uh, some of us, and, and yours truly included, right? Some of our, some of our dads uh, haven't even been there, haven't been present. Some of our dads uh, were present, but it, but it wasn't the greatest experience uh, whatsoever. He was there uh, physically, but maybe mentally and emotionally had checked out or, or never was there or never was around, right? And so there's lots of stories of, of dad experiences, probably I would assume, in this room, And uh, can stir up all types of emotions. Or the idea of God being our Father, our our compassionate Father, uh, is something that just kind of raises our defense mechanisms a little bit. And we go, yeah, I don't know how comfortable I feel about that. I don't know if I'm quite there about, you know, just stepping into this and, and singing the songs about how good, good of a Father He is and how He loves us and how I'm cared for. Because that wasn't my earthly experience, Brian. You feel me? Right? And I just want you to know that it's okay to express that. And it's okay to question that. It's okay to, can, uh, within the, the gospel community, that is Grace Point. You have gospel and you have, you're going to get tons of grace here. I hear that all the time here and I love that. You have safety. You have a safe place to be able to express concerns and doubts and hurts and, and fears and failures and tensions about things. You're in a safe place to be able to do that. And I just want you to know too that you have time, that you have all the time you need to be able to process that within the health and safety of a solid gospel community that is Grace Point Community Church, and that I know tons of you here are, are people who are believing the gospel and are here that want to serve people and love people and help people along in their journey. But I do want to press this into us, this idea of God our Father, no matter what your experience has been, because when we can get past the reality of sin ruining everything, including our idea or view of Father... Uh, and see God as our good, true, ever-present dad, um, it can change everything. Uh, So, Galatians 4, Paul says this. uh, He says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, Jesus, born of a woman, Mary, born under the law, to redeem us and, and adopt us as His kids, sons and daughters. So, what Paul's saying in Galatians, one of the main reasons that Jesus was born, that Jesus lived, that Jesus came and did what He did, that He died on a cross sacrificially, that He lived and loved us and gave Himself for us. One of the main reasons that Jesus came to do that was so that you and I could be welcomed into the family of God and so that we could have God as our Father and that we could experience true love, true value, true affirmation, real identity, something we don't always experience in this earthly Life. Some, some of those things we long for or we, we, we search for in different things because we didn't necessarily get it from our earthly dads. And so God as our Father should never be something that we kind of flippantly sh- shrug off or just kind of, you know, adhere to mentally but never allow it to actually saturate us and, and do a work in us. Because this thing, this truth, this concept of God as Father should create awe should create wonder, it should create excitement, it should create questions, and it should actually continue to draw us deeper and deeper into meaningful relationship with the one who calls us, not to just be mere servants, you know, following rules and obeying commands, but also a father who longs for intimate communion with those he calls sons and daughters, all right? So we're going to ask the question this morning, we're going to work this together, asking, uh, what does it mean to have God as our Father? And I just want to throw four things at you to chew on, all right? So we're going to do this together. You ready? One more time. Work with me. Here we go. Psalm 103. The first one is this. Um, we have a, what's, what's known as a covenant-based relationship when we have God as our Father. And one of the most common questions, and I actually just had this question, question uh, asked of me and, and kind of wrestled through it with someone recently this week. Um, one of the common questions that people can ask in culture today is, is, um, is God a father to everyone in the world, Christian, non-Christian, no matter where you're at on the spectrum? Is God a father to everyone? Some would say yes, and, and some would say no. He's only, he's only a dad to specific people, those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, but to everyone else, He's not a dad to. And I, I think the Scriptures actually say yes and no. I think the Scriptures actually answer that question by saying yes and No. Uh, There are two ways typically that we can think about or define dad or father, right? The first is is that father can be your literal um, physical resource for why you exist, right? And so in that case, we would all have fathers. We would all have uh, men who at some point um, contributed something to our birth, to our physical Existence. So, in other words, there has to be a father because we could say that fathers are literally the source of our existence. So, um, whether or not dad was around for some of us, um, we all have fathers in the physical, literal source sense of the, of the meaning. You feel me so far? Are you tracking with me? All right. But we're not just left with that because on the other hand, we could also define or we could also look at father as someone who provides love, security, provision, care comfort, so on and so forth, right? So a dad's not just the physical, literal source of your existence, but also dad is the source of love, of affirmation, of care, of identity, inheriting the name of dad, right? The last name of dad. There's a stamp of his name upon you, right? So some of us would actually say, hey, uh, yeah, so so so-and-so, he was my biological dad, but, uh, but dude was never around for me, he wasn't there, he never told me he loved me, he never, never hugged me, never showed me any affection, he didn't sit at my t-ball game, he didn't come to my graduation, he didn't send me money, you know, so on and so forth, right? And so there are people who have that story, right? There's also people who had stories who say, uh, uh, so-and-so uh, wasn't my biological dad, but uh, this mentor type or friend, older friend type, um, man, he was like a dad to me. Man, I was blessed to have someone like that in my life for for five or six years, had a man who who acted as dad, who was a picture of a dad in such an incredible and amazing way, one who just affirmed and loved and spoke the truth in love, who said hard things to me when I needed to hear hard things, but also processed those hard things and decisions in my life with me and walked with me and cared for me and encouraged me and uplifted me and gave me a little discipline when I needed discipline in certain ways and in appropriate ways. Right? So some of us would have that story where we'd say, hey, uh, dude who was my physical source of why I exist, uh, yeah, he's technically my dad, but this guy over here was really like my dad. He was really like my father. But, so we're saying both, true, uh, both are true aspects to fatherhood. Both are very necess- necessary in the role of a father but the second part of fatherhood is actually more potent than the first because a true father is linked in love and care and relationship nourishing unfractured commitment to the one or the ones that he's helped by grace create so in other words like it, in order to val- like what validates the statement that I am the papa to Dylan, Lucas and Olivia is more grounded in my care for them, my love for them, my presence among them, my commitment to them, my walking with them, my instruction to them, my my sacrifice on behalf of them. It's more grounded in that than the fact that Danielle and I came together sexually three times and out came three kids. You tracking with me so far? In Acts 17, though, Paul actually he's preaching to a bunch of people. He's He's preaching and he's presenting the gospel to a bunch of people, to an idolatrous country, to a bunch of Greek people essentially, and he says that uh, we are God's offspring. All humans are God's offspring, basically saying that uh, every single human being actually can look to God as the Father, the physical, literal source of our existence. Uh, there's this thing called the New City Catechism, which is a, a, basically an opportunity for an instruction manual to guide uh, adults and children through some questions, some basic questions, and some answers around uh, theology and the Christian walk. And it's been monumental for our family. But the second question in New City Catechism asks the question, who or what is God? And the answer to that is God is the creator of everyone and everything. So, yes, in one way He is our Father, beyond the men who played a part in bringing us into existence. But more importantly, the Bible actually talks about God being your Father uh, if and only if you've entered into a particular covenantal relationship with Him. And Jesus points to this in John chapter 1 when He, when he says that it's by receiving Him, Jesus, and what Jesus came to do, and the work that Jesus accomplished On our behalf, it's through Him and by receiving Him that we actually get the benefits of being a child of God because it doesn't just happen automatically to us. That's something we're called into, and that's something that we receive by grace. Psalm 103 points this when David says, God has compassion on His children, verse 13. And then down in verse 18, he says, for those who keep His covenant... He's not the father to everybody, the true father that every single human being deep down in the depth of their soul longs for, the one who blankets his kids with love, the one who blankets his kids with affirmation and value and identity and promise and care. He's a father, the true father that we all long for to those who've entered into this relationship, something we receive and we do not earn whatsoever. Which brings us to our second aspect of asking the question, who is God our Father? What's this all mean? So it's a covenant-based relationship, but it's also a grace-based relationship, right? We just said it's, it's all about something that we receive and we don't earn. Psalm 103 is littered with, with, with one really crucial element of reminder for us, and it's this, is that we're all sinners. We're all jacked up, right? Like we, we rebel, willfully rebel against our, the one who created us. We willfully turn our backs, both in very conscious ways and Uh, unconscious ways. Martin Luther said that we're actually, the essence of sin is that we're navel gazers. Instead of looking to the one who's created us and and giving back to him honor and praise and glory and thanksgiving for all that he's done, even though all of creation screams God at us, we are so turned in on ourselves, we are actually navel gazers to the point that we're so consumed about ourselves, which causes this rebellion against the one who has created us. And so Psalm 103, there it is. He said, We do iniquity, we commit transgressions, we're sinners. And yet, in spite of all of that, God is a father, we're told, Psalm 103, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, aka are those who are in covenant with him. Right? So what this means is, is that God, as your father, loves you permanently, by his grace loves you permanently. In spite of your sins, in spite of your failures, in spite of your jacked upness, in however which way that actually plays itself out in life because he's your father. And this is the most fundamental thing about this truth, this idea that God can be your father. And and Tim Keller has been really helpful to me in thinking through this, this idea of uh, this is different from a boss-employee relationship. The father-son relationship is much different than the boss-employee relationship. Right? So think about it. And, and if, you've re- if you've heard this analogy before or Keller talk about this, it's, it's really profound. But in the sense that um, you're an employee, right? And, and you've got your boss. And, and and as long as you are performing and you're nailing all your evaluations, right, and you're working your way up the corporate ladder or you're showing up for your 9 to 5 every single day, like, you and your boss are great. You're producing. You're pumping out work, man. Business is going well. The boss is happy with you. You haven't flipped out on anyone. You haven't, like, taken off days you know, and and called in sick when actually you were at the beach or doing crazy, you know, you haven't cheated, you haven't embezzled money from the company, like all these things, like your your standing with your boss is based on your performance, right? So if you're performing well, you and the boss are like, A-okay, maybe you got got the ins with the boss and you're actually pretty tight, right? But what happens when you start embezzling money? Or what happens when you start taking off days from work and going to the beach or, or going to the casino or doing whatever it is you want to do, right? What happens when you just stop showing up for work? What happens when you stop performing at your job and you don't live up to your expectations? You're fired, right, Donald Trump? You're fired, right? You're no longer part of the company. You're no longer welcome in the building or to be part of the team or as an employee and to earn your income from that company. But what happens to a father who has a child who rebels and doesn't perform, right? Like instead of cutting ties with your son, or your daughter when they don't perform, like like the most simplest task, like, hey, make your bed, no. We don't cut ties with our son or our daughter, but what does a good dad do? He presses into them all the more out of love and care and concern. The father's heart, instead of becoming disengaged like the boss, the father's heart's actually more engaged now with his son or with his daughter who is lying or throwing a fit or getting bad grades or who becomes addicted to drugs or has willfully rebelled and gone off the roadmap in some crazy, ridiculous ways, your love and your care actually intensifies for your son or daughter, right? If you're a parent, you feel that? I know for me, right, um, it, the relationship's not based on performance. Like, I'm constantly doing this with my kids. Like, when it comes to discipline time, uh, I try best to not start off with, like, a, hey, what's wrong with you? Like, how, how could you do? I cannot believe you did that. Oh, man. You you know what? You are not my son if you do that. Like a page boy would definitely not do it. He would do it this way. You're not my son if you do that. No, I try not to start off those ways, but instead it's getting down on one knee with my son Dylan, for example, and just being like, Dylan, who am I? Dylan, who am I? Let's start here. Dylan, who am I? And he usually he's sobbing, he's got boogers running down his nose, and he's like, you know, still whimpering like a fish out of water, and it's, you're Papa. You're right, I'm Papa. And what, Papa, what, what does Papa do for you? What, who am I? You love me. You're right, buddy. I just want to start with this, buddy, that I'm your Papa, and I love you no matter what. Even in spite of all this, I'm your Papa, and that'll never, ever change in spite of what, how good you are or how bad you are. I'm your Papa, and I love you. And then we get on to the discipline stuff, however that winds up playing out. That's the difference between a father relationship, father-son relationship, father-daughter relationship, and a boss-employee relationship. And it's amazing, right? It's amazing. Because he's your father, his love is on you, Psalm 103 says, from everlasting to everlasting, no matter what. So to have him as a father means you have him on the basis of grace, and you always live From that grace in your relationship to God. So it's a covenant based relationship. It's a grace based relationship. Thirdly, it's this we we know that we have a secure relationship with God as our Father, secure, rock solid, confident. Psalm 103, 8 to 10 says this The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquity. So the question is, like, so what does a good father do when, when, when his son or his daughter does something wrong? Um, right? Like, a father, fa- right? A good father, fathers get angry, right? A father is going to get angry even though he loves you. Like, so, for example, like, when, when one of my son karate chops the other one in the mouth, like, yeah, I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get frustrated. I'm, I'm, I'm getting angry. Why? Why? Uh, so most of the time, and I, I actually hate to admit this to you, but I need to if I want to be true and honest before the Lord and, and to you in and, and, and integrity and as I preach this to you, but if I'm honest with you, uh, most of the time, uh, sinfully, uh, they've disrupted, the reason I get angry and I respond is because they've disrupted peace in my life, right? So let me tease this out a little bit, and, and I'll tease it out a little more, but um, for some reason or another... I've longed for peace, I've longed for tranquility, I don't want there to be any hostility, I don't want any yelling or screaming, and so when someone gets karate chopped or punched in the gut or you know, put in a sleeper hold or something crazy happens to one of my kids and there's yelling and screaming and frustration and, and response and retaliation, when I get angry it's usually because I've been disturbed. My peace at that moment was rocked and I'm not happy about it, Right? But when I'm functioning from a healthy, gospel-focused, remembering the benefits, remembering who God is and who I am before a holy God and what Jesus has done, when I'm doing all that stuff and processing that in a healthy way, I get angry because I love my kids. So my anger is fueled by my love for my kids because I don't want either of them going around karate chopping each other in the face and then eventually someday when they're 24, karate chopping a cop in the face and going, getting arrested and going to jail, right? So like the end, the end goal is I don't want them to get arrested and go to jail someday, right? I don't want them just free, free-for-all in people, karate chopping people when they, when they see people. You feel me? And so my anger, it, my love, uh, my anger is fueled by my love for them and my hope for them and wanting to teach them the ways in which they're supposed to go. And, and Psalm 103 says that God, our Father, gets angry. But the key is verse 10, right, is that he never, ever repays us for our sin, our iniquity, our rebellion. He don't repay us for that. Think about it from a discipline standpoint, right? And I I was teasing this a second ago. When we, parents, discipline our kids, the goal is usually to make them um, unhappy, (laughs) right? Some of us are like, yeah, I want to make them unhappy, right, because they've made me unhappy, we, we want to make our kids unhappy and distraught to the point that they see the seriousness of what they've done wrong, right? And we hope in some way, by the grace of God, some light cracks, some light bulb cracks in their brain and they actually see that, wow, like what I did is actually seriously wrong and, and this could be really, really bad for me and so I don't want to do this anymore and so I want to turn away from this serious behavior or action in some way. Right, And so we're hoping and praying that our discipline would be a tool that would be used to see that light go on by the grace of God to our kids in some way, and actually point them to a greater need, not just to change their behavior, but to see their need for a rescuer who is Jesus, right? And so, you know, and I'm saying this as like parents, we're like, yeah, that's what we want, and, and, and quickly I very much realized that as a parent, like I hardly ever come from that standpoint as a dad, Right? A lot of times what winds up happening is we, we're essentially mad for their sake, except when, as I mentioned before, our selfishness gets in the way when we're disciplined. So, and I've seen this, I saw this happen just yesterday, all right? So this just happened yesterday. Um, in my own parenting, um, because I love myself more than I love God, and because I love myself more than I love my kids, I discipline. So what that means is, is um, again, I don't want times of yelling and screaming, um, I, I'm trying to read a good book here, right? So don't bother me. Um, we could go down the list of things of, you know, like I've just had a long day and I just need to be left alone for like, I don't know, 30 minutes or 30 years. Just just leave me alone for a little while. I'll get back to you at some point, right? Like so when anarchy breaks out in the page house, which honestly feels like every other minute these days. This week felt like it was continual. Like we've maybe had three minutes of peace and shalom in our home, in our life this week, right? Maybe three minutes if, we're, if we've been graced by God. Um, So when anarchy breaks out in our home, Papa responds, but it's not always motivated first by love for God or love for my kids, but I respond and I'm fueled by the fact that the God of my life, aka me, has been annoyed, has been irritated, has been disturbed. You feel this? And so uh, usually my response and my discipline is typically, okay, you've ruined my day, I'm about to ruin yours. What's up? Right? You ruined my day, so I'm about to ruin yours. That's retribution. That's making Dylan or Lucas or Olivia pay for what they've done to irritate me. I'm not trying to help them. I'm certainly not loving them. I'm just mad at them because they bothered me. Now I'm going to bother you. You feel me? Psalm 103 tells us that God the Father doesn't roll that way. You know that the eternal punishment that we deserve for our rebellion against the one who made us actually fell on his son, Jesus? And so now, the retribution or the payback that we rightfully deserve, we don't get. God the Father does not pay us according to our iniquities. Instead, when God disciplines, which he does, which any good father does, Hebrews tells us, when he sees bad things coming down the pike and allows them to happen in our life or he sees us doing something wrong and he actually by his grace lets those consequences of what you've done wrong actually play out and in response you feel like, God don't love me, God doesn't give a rip about me, he doesn't care about me, he's not for me, he's against me. If he allowed all this stuff to happen to me we need to see that Psalm 103 is actually telling us that it actually has nothing to do with payback. It has nothing to do with retribution or because his anger has consumed him and you've annoyed him and he's just taking it out on you. Except everything now, from the benefit of the gospel, everything is done out of his fatherly love and care for his sons and daughters. Which means this, if something bad comes into your life, it's because in some way or another it's going to benefit you in the long run Whew, that's hard if something you want so you have a dream or a vision and something you want so bad actually doesn't come to you for whatever reason or it's being removed from your life then though you don't want to believe it god the father is saying it's not of benefit to you everything comes from the fact that he is a father who loves and cares for his kids and he works all things together, all things together, all things together for good. And so the question is here is do you trust that? Do you trust that? Because if you do, if you're there, you have a rock solid, confident relationship that's secure in who God the Father is, all right? So, we have a covenant based relationship. We have a grace based relationship. We have a secure, confident relationship with God our Father. Finally, is this we have an intimate relationship, we have a close relationship with God. Our father, Psalm 103, 13, says that he's compassionate. And when David is praying this, and this is, this is more than just a prayer. It's actually a dialogue of the soul that David has going on here. He starts off this whole psalm like we said a month ago. And I know you'd remember what I said a month ago if you were here, right? But Psalm 103 basically is this dialogue, this, this thing going on. Like, like someone would see David walking down the road doing this, and they'd think he's a lunatic, right? He's, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, And all that's within me, forget not his benefits, right? He's having this dialogue, this wrestling, this conversation with his soul to not forget the benefits, a.k.a. the truth of the gospel, the good news of who God is, that he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, he crowns you with mercy, he forgives you of all your sin, he satisfies you with good. He's going to heal every single disease. He's telling, he's wrestling this in. He's taking it into his soul so that he would make his heart believe the beauty and the truth of this gospel. But David here, when he says that the Father is compassionate, he's talking about a deep emotional connection between God and us. And Paul hits on this in Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16 when he says, This, he says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So one of the ways that the Spirit comes into our life and works in our life, Paul is saying, is that the the Spirit helps us pray Abba, Father, and Abba means Papa, which is an emotional connection between a son and a daughter that a son and daughter would use, right? So you're saying, ah, but there's an emotional connection with your dad there. And so what he's talking about, Paul, is the, the Spirit's activity in the life of a son or a daughter of God is that the Father wants, and He gives the Spirit to help you. The Father wants you to pour yourself out to Him, wants you to come to Him, Be in his presence. Present your requests to him. Present your life situations to him. Pray out your stresses. Pray out your grief. Pray out your frustration and your anger. Bring your depression all into his presence. Raw, emotional, truthful, honest, genuine, with integrity. Bring it to him. The Father wants that, and he sends the Spirit into your life to help you do that and trust him in the process. And this is way different than just praying a prayer that's just kind of formal, right? Just kind of going through the motions, like mechanically kind of praying some stuff, right? Because there's a way that we can actually pray uh, something like the Lord's Prayer when it starts off our Father, right? We just, we, we kind of rip through it and we pray it in this mechanical kind of formal way. And in that way, we might actually adhere to some mental facts that God is the Father, In some way, he's the maker of all of creation. He's God Almighty. He's all these things, right? We might pray those things, mentally adhering to those things, but we haven't been affected by it, and we haven't been changed by the truth and the reality and the beauty of the benefit of having God as our Father. And Paul was saying that the Spirit is sent into lives to do exactly that, to help us open up to our Father, that the Spirit resides in us to help us Come to the Father and respond to the Father. And that's what he's getting at in Romans chapter 8. It's an invitation to intimate, loving relationship with your Father more than just formal mechanical religion with the one who made us. Um, I love this illustration, and I've used it multiple times, probably because it's probably one of the ones that has affected me the most. Um, There's this old Puritan guy by the name of Thomas Goodwin, and he was telling this story... Um, of a father and son walking down the road. And he saw this father and son walking down the road, and, and there was an exchange between the father and son, and wasn't sure what was said, but all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the father scooped up his son, he picked him up, he hugged him, he embraced him, and he looked at him and he told him, I love you, I love you, son. And the, the son replied, I love you too, and they placed the son back down on the ground, and they continued walking hand by hand down the street, doing what they were doing, before. And Goodwin says, was the child more of a son when he was in the father's arms than before or after that? Legally, relationally, no, he wasn't. But what was happening at that very moment with the son is that he was experiencing his sonship with his dad. He was experiencing dad's love. He was experiencing dad's affection and care and desire over his Son. And that's what Romans 8:15 and 16 is saying, that the Spirit's job is to open up to you, the Father, and his love to you and his care for you, and his value over you for you to actually experience that in profound ways. Right? Especially when you feel weak, especially when you feel depressed, especially when you feel like throwing the towel in on this whole deal called. Life, Or maybe you've blown it in some big ways or even some small ways, but you recognize that. Psalm 103 actually says in verse 14 that that we're like dust, which means we're weak. God knows our frame, that we're weak, that we're fragile, we're human, we're not made to be Him. But now we have this weakness, and in His grace, He sends the Spirit to our frail lives because He sees fit to not leave us on our own to figure this whole thing out out or to try and respond to him or find him on our own, but in grace, he pursues us and sends his spirit now as an aid, as a help to help us experience and pursue the Father in this intimate, loving, beautiful relationship with the one who's made us. And, and I'll be honest with you, like, like this sermon prep this week Uh, started making me think about my prayer life like more like in this season of my life going like, hey, so so what's this look like in my prayer life personally right now? Like how am I approaching God in this season? Like am I approaching him as a father who is all of what we just talked about for the last 25, 30 minutes? Am I approaching him as though he's gracious, as though I'm in relationship, rock steady relationship with him and everything is based on grace and I, I live in response to grace? Am I viewing him through the lens of his fatherhood, seeking intimate relationship with him and communion with him and longing to experience his love and care and affirmation over my life? Or am I just like after him? To, like, is he a, like, am I just after him for stuff? Or am I just kind of going through the motions feeling like if I just check this box off then like I've done my duty and I'm good and God's going to be pleased with me and he should bless me now as a result because, you know, I'm putting time in it at 4.45 in the morning to like seek his face. You know what I'm saying? You feel me? Am I mechanically going through this? Because there is so much more available to us than than, than that. And so the question is, I want to close with you, is this. Is, so, so how do I get all that? Like, how do I get all of those benefits? And the whole point is that we, we don't get what we deserve, Psalm 103 says. What we deserve is Psalm 103, 15 to 16. Read this. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. You know, that you and I were originally created in this garden, this beautiful garden, and we were created to last. We were created to have life, fulfilled life. We had, we had the love and the affirmation of God. We had per- fa- per- personal face-to-face communion with the one who made us. We had flourishing. Our work was meaningful and beautiful, and fulfilling, and we weren't going to die, but now sin drives us to lose the garden. We lose shalom. We lose peace, and we lose flourishing. We lose the relationship that we had with God, but Psalm 103.10 says he doesn't deal with us according to our sins and our rebellion. Actually, we receive verse 17. Verse 17 says this. It says, but the steadfast love of the Lord, again, is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him. And here's why. We get all the benefits of Psalm 103 because Jesus on the cross was forgotten so that you and I could be remembered by our dad. So that you and I could be remembered and brought into the family of God. Jesus was forsaken on the cross when he screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His dad turns his back on him on the cross so that you and I would not be forgotten for eternity and lost but that we could be brought into the family and remembered as sons and daughters and never be forgotten. He took our sin upon himself and in grace we're offered this beautiful relationship that's based upon grace where we can approach God as our Father, intimate, loving Father, and receive love and affirmation and value and identity and forgiveness and the healing that every single human heart longs for. And I want you to rest in this, Grace Point, all right? And I need to rest in this too. We need to rest in this together because this is what we need to remember in the depth of our soul. And we need to know more than anything else. Psalm 27.10 says that though my father and mother have forsaken me, the Lord will take me in. What a beautiful invitation. And there's some people here where your mom or dad might not have been there but the Lord will take you and will keep you secure and loved and valued with identity. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Think about that. That means you do not have to care about what other people think about you. You don't have to let criticism annihilate you and your identity because you've been secured with an identity that's full of love and steadfast mercy upon your Father in heaven who cares for you and loves you. You might have had the greatest mom and dad in the world, and you know what? Man, I celebrate that with you, and I'm so glad that you have been able to experience that grace, but there's a truth and reality that someday they'll be gone. They won't be here, and that's going to be hard, and there'll be pain and grief that come along with that, but I want you to rest in the comfort of the Father's relationship with you because he'll shield you, and he'll protect you, and he'll care for you, and he can be your refuge and your shelter. I want you to remember and rest in this if you're hurting or you're depressed or you're searching or you feel isolated or you're curious and skeptical. I want you to know that our Father is the one who forgives all, who heals every single disease, who one day will buy you back from the pit of destruction and death, who crowns you with love and who satisfies and offers rest. With all of that said, let's thank the Father together and pray, all right? Father, you're gracious and you're amazing, and I thank you, God. And I pray that in spite of my communication that can be unclear at times, Father, I pray that your spirit would be clear to your people because you're good to them and you long to do good to your people. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you for being gracious to Grace Point Church here. Thank you for your grace upon Ryan and Jess and family and every member ministry that makes up Grace Point Church. I pray, Father, for times of flourishment in this church. I pray for times of blessing. I pray, Lord, that you would guide and lead as the good father in the life of this church, leading his children uh, to accomplish a purpose of seeing many people in the North Andover area and beyond meet and follow the real Jesus. God, would you be gracious and kind in the Monday through Saturday stuff of life to everyone here. Bless families, bless dads. I pray dads would press into their calling and take on the responsibility of of loving and caring for their wives and their families. Thank you for being good and kind to us today. Help us to live according to your word, by your grace, through your spirit. Hear
0: my prayer and answer it, Christ's name, amen.